Hello and welcome to Crisis to Resilience, a new limited podcast series on the 2020 network brought to you by Interac. I'm your host, Alex Patterson. On this series, we're diving deep into the pressures, trends, ideas, and opportunities that are defining the way our policy community is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Our hope is that we can provide you with some context for why our policy leaders across all levels of government are making the choices that they are. We want to know what's shaping their thinking, who they're drawing inspiration from, and how we can collectively make that crucial turn from crisis to resilience. Today in the show, I am speaking with the Honorable Mona Fortier. Mona is the Associate Minister of Finance and Minister of Middle Class Prosperity, a role she was asked to fulfill in 2019 by Prime Minister Trudeau. The pandemic has brought into sharp focus the fragility with which many Canadians live with on a day-to-day basis. Minister Fortier's role prior to the pandemic was incredibly important, but as we begin to rebuild the foundational blocks of our economy, her social policy focus will be instrumental into rethinking how we safeguard the quality of life for millions of Canadians. It was a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got a pretty jammed schedule, so um, we really appreciate you taking some time to you know join us and and, and talk through some of the the more I think thoughtful aspects of of the work that you're doing right now. Um, you know, you and your colleagues have been extremely busy responding to the immediate impact of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. It seems every conversation I'm having, it's it's like it's firefighting and firefighting and emergency response. And so I, I do want to find those moments when I can to to take a step back and just sort of ask, like on a personal level, how are you doing? Well, thanks for asking. Um, as a mother of three teenagers, two in high school and one that just started uh, and left home to start university, I'm actually uh, coping also with all the challenges uh, of living uh, with COVID and, uh, of course, making sure that I take care of uh, my kids, but also uh, that we try to find ways to uh, go through these very difficult times. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're... You're the uh, member of parliament for the uh, riding of Ottawa Vanier, the first woman representing uh, that riding. Um, What are you hearing from your constituents? Well, that's a great question because in Ottawa Vanier, as you know, we have a very diverse uh, population and uh, this diversity shows that I've been talking to many of my constituents and they're living this all with the same kind of challenging approach. But at the same time, they all want to work together and really the community has come together to fight this pandemic. And uh, even though we have uh, to make sure that we help many of them that uh, don't have enough money to uh, pay their bills at the end of the month or or those that don't really know how they can help in the community. Um, we've been really brought all together in, in finding those solutions. And I'm I'm and it really warms my heart to see that uh, even though these are very difficult times, we're actually working together to go through this. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a nice transition, I think, to you know, my, my first question about your sort of portfolio, um, when you were uh, appointed to the cabinet table as uh, as minister of, of middle class prosperity, um, 
it, it was very clear in in your mandate letter and in in sort of the the, the language around your role that your focus would be uh, on on sort of driving the importance of social responsibility and applying that lens to economic policy. So, I mean, first question, like, what does that mean? <laughs> it's a really good question. And honestly, you have to, I believe, look at it as being part of the, um, you know, behind the scenes of working on how fiscal policy comes to life, uh, rather than talk about uh, results. And this is why I'm talking more about how, why and how we're moving forward with an approach to policy development and budget decision making that will explain on how we get to these results. Now, in Canada, we have known for a long time now that if we don't build an economy in ways that work for people, it won't work well for anyone in the long run. And uh, let's go back in the past. Governments have been mostly using GDP as a measure of how the economy is doing which doesn't really directly mirror how their citizens are doing. And uh, the national GDP doesn't always mean much, for example, to a single mother uh, with two kids who's working multiple jobs to make ends meet. So it's important to go beyond GDP and look at other ways to measure the impacts of our policies in uh, Canadians' day-to-day lives. And we can't work with just one tool. So that's why we need to take into account and focus on a broad range of factors beyond just GDP growth, such as health, social connections, the environment, security, and more. And this will make the fact that we will be able to have an economy that works for everyone. And uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, as Minister of Middle Class Prosperity and Associate Minister of Finance, my priority is to make sure that our government is developing fiscal policy and implementing budget decisions with a strong focus on the long-term prosperity of the middle class and, of course, of all Canadians. Now, let me uh, give you an example. Take GBA+, which we introduced uh, in our first mandate. Since then, we've established a process that provides rigorous assessment of systemic inequalities, as well as a means to assess how diverse groups of women, men, and gender-diverse people may experience policies, programs, and initiatives. And with the plus piece, of course, acknowledging additional demographics at play. And we've worked to have a GBA plus lens on all of our policies since then and have seen a real difference in promoting equality with social, cultural and economic benefits across the board. So that's what it's all about. This quality of life framework will enable us to make better policy decisions and even implement decision making for budgeting that will bring a light on economic well I should say inclusive economic growth I think this this series that we're doing at Canada 2020 is is all about you know what has changed and how has it shifted the thinking of our policymakers and, and changed our policy environment so uh, you know if I apply a social responsibility lens to um, you know, our, our economic performance heading into the pandemic, there was a lot of progress being made. You know, we had, um, particularly in the middle class bandwidth, you know, 1 million people lifted out of poverty and, and crucially 300,000 children, um, you know, job creation and, and, and low unemployment rates. So, 
you know, from where you sit and, and with your portfolio and, and your thinking, how do you feel that taking a, a, a social lens helped contribute to that? We identified and considered who was falling behind. And we focused on creating opportunities also in terms of skills, access to post-secondary education. Uh, we improved accessibility and, uh, of course, worked very hard at reducing poverty. And therefore, a healthy economy isn't about the average national numbers we measure at the end of the day. The true reflection of our economy rests on its most priceless asset, its people. So all of our efforts and investments made it possible, as I said earlier, to generate that creation of more than a million jobs. And because we've succeeded with this in the past, we strongly believe we will succeed as we move into the recovery phase of this pandemic and that we will be able to create in the next phase another million jobs. I'm reminded of of the work of um, Dr. Kate Rayworth and her her sort of donut economics donut, yes. donut economics out of Oxford. Yes. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting because I mean she talks obviously about um, different indicators uh, that that we can't um, that that we 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 can't stretch beyond and, and sort of finding that sweet spot right in in the middle. So I'm I'm curious in the midst of this pandemic. Um, so, you know, not pre, but, you know, during, what are indicators that, that, that you're looking at um, that tell you about the way in which Canadians' quality of life is being um, impacted? I would say the most striking impact was how this pandemic has identified gaps in our social safety net. And as soon as the initial wave came through, we saw how greatly the situation varied across the country. So, for example, some families, their closure of certain businesses uh, meant job losses, reduced income and difficulty meeting financial obligations and essential needs. And for others, the closure of daycares and schools combined with the rapid uptake of teleworking uh, resulted in new challenges of balancing work and family responsibilities. And as well, there have been particular broadband challenges faced by Canadians in rural and remote areas. And this has been really significantly raised a major gap that we have across the country. Now, as priorities are shifting, we witness the reinforced notion of having a strong public health care system with solid long-term investments in science and research. We also believe that we need to have more accessible quality child care because that is going to be key in ensuring our economy can function at its best. Now, a clear example of shortcomings that came to light through this pandemic is the tragedy, tragedies, I have to say, that unfolded in long-term care homes. I think we all acknowledge this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, also, how women have been hit the hardest in terms of job losses and are really struggling right now the most to get back to work. Another group is the students. They saw their early career aspirations halted with like no cushion to fall back on or, or not necessarily a path in sight for their next move. And here is where uh, our measures came in. The immediate goal was to implement 
immediate lifelines, or I would say relief, as we did develop uh, long-term solutions. And that's why we will be focusing uh, on the next steps to identify those indicators to be able to reduce those gaps and, and really focus on how everyone will be able to participate to the recovery. Canadians from all walks of life have been hit hard and, and, and some more than others. So like, how do you design policy and emergency measures rapidly with different Canadians in mind? Starting in March, and I'm looking at the last eight months, we, we knew we needed a new way of thinking and of approaching this uh, pandemic and this bringing forward uh, supports for Canadians. Now, our first steps was to deal with the gaps in our social systems uh, by making sure nobody fell through the crack, uh, by investing in healthcare, and by creating financial security for our businesses. And by looking at the impacts, at the gaps, here's how we um, decided to address them. And I also have to say in the onset that um, in the last eight months, we designed, created, implemented, deployed, and adapted many financial programs to keep Canadians from living through the anxiety of, you know, choosing between paying rent and putting food on the table. And we've adapted all those programs as we go. Now, for households, for example, uh, the government sought to provide income support to those most vulnerable and most affected by the crisis, while, of course, preserving incentives for, to participate to the labor market. For example, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or the CERB, um, was one tool that uh, we used. And we also uh, gave a special top-up payment of the Canada Child Benefit to help with families' uh, bills. Uh, we did that in May. And then we uh, just recently newly implemented employment insurance system with the creation of a transitional recovery benefit and also brought forward benefits to include those who did not previously qualify, uh, for example, self-employed Canadians were also taken into this uh, new design. So that's for households. Then we looked at students. We brought in measures to support students, such as the Canada Emergency Response Benefit for students. We looked at how we can support them in their studies and um, help them with the uh, loans, uh, the student loans. We also broadened the Canada Summer Jobs Program uh, because we wanted to support them while they pursue their career opportunities. We also invested in financial support programs for businesses to help them bridge through the pandemic and be part of recovery strategy, such as um, partially repayable loans, wage subsidy to keep their workers employed, and uh, also uh, invested in a program to support rent relief. Now, we're also providing fiscal anchors for businesses while also putting skills training to help equip and grow our workforce. So we're bringing this to the business, uh, nonprofit organization and charities uh, sector. Another um, focus is our most vulnerable. 
We've put investments in the emergency food security funds to help improve access to food and increase food supply for our vulnerable Canadians across the country. And we know that they're facing huge impacts with this pandemic. Now, I have uh, to also mention that we've been working since the onset of the pandemic with provinces and territories and invested in $19 billion safe restart agreement to help provinces and territories increase their testing and contact tracing of the virus, support vulnerable Canadians, ensure the availability of uh, childcare, uh, provide income support for people who do not have paid sick leave, so all Canadians, of course, can stay healthy. And uh, we also provided $2 billion for a safe return to class fund, along with new funding for Indigenous communities. I think that I would like to hear, I think, just a little bit about... Um some of the some of the highlights i think that matter to you and your portfolio um uh particularly you know items that sort of get at that problem that that you're trying to address which is uh, an improved focus on quality of life so I, I, I yeah if you could unpack a couple of those for me that would be great so i was talking about you know, women participation. And we know that uh, it's been a struggle. And in the next phase, we will have to continue to focus on on childcare. Uh, this is something where we will need to accelerate the accessibility and uh, the fact that women, if they want to be able to work, will need, ha- will need access to childcare. We also, uh, for women, uh, are going to uh, create an action plan uh, for women in the economy to help more of them get back into the workforce and ensure a feminist intersectional response to the pandemic and recovery. And uh, of course, we will rely on previous initiatives uh, by accelerating the women's entrepreneurship strategy, which, uh, as you probably know, has already helped many women across Canada grow their businesses. And um, we are really committed to focus on how we can bring this forward. Uh, Also, we'll be providing a pathway to establish national standards for long-term care homes. Uh, This was something that came out clearly through consultations uh, with not only caucus, but even stakeholders. This is something our country needs to address, and we will be moving forward on uh, providing that pathway. Um, We're also uh, going to... uh, try to reduce the flaws and the gaps in the system as we work very quickly, as I said, in the past eight months to uh, simultaneously create, implement, and adapt to the emergency measures to address them in the short term while we are now looking uh, for long-term solutions uh, overall. And, uh, of course, at the end of the day, we can't simply apply (laughs) different Band-Aids to our social safety net and overall system and move on. So we will need to make sure that we integrate a Made in Canada framework in our decision-making, in our policies and fiscal initiatives to make sure these uh, issues remain at the forefront of our decision-making moving forward and that no Canadian is left behind. Before we go here, I I'm endlessly fascinated by where we we learn and and draw inspiration from, particularly at times that are unprecedented. 
Um, and I think for, for, for you and your role, I I'm curious about what other jurisdictions that you are looking to, um, either that, that have a, a, a high quality of life index or, or are doing novel and interesting and progressive things uh, in that area. I, I'm thinking of like New, Ze- New Zealand or Scotland, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious where you draw inspiration from. In my mandate of developing a Made in Canada framework, it's really important, as you mentioned, to understand what has been done elsewhere in the world and to to take this uh, experience uh, into uh, our uh, development, the, the development of our of our framework. And uh, so I did sit down with the OECD earlier this year, and actually even today, to um, better understand the. The, their better life index. And that is something uh, that actually Canada performs very well in many measures of well-being relative to most other countries in the OECD better life index. It's important to see that uh, we can draw from what the OECD's work is doing to uh, identify those indicators that could uh, better um better characterize what we need to do here. Now, you mentioned New Zealand and Scotland, and I will add Iceland as three um, uh, countries uh, that have been leading on this. And I've actually met with them uh, and their spokesperson um, to better understand what they've done. And uh, for New Zealand, their living standards framework also builds on the OECD work with a strong focus on mental health and cultural factors. Now, they are regarded widely as being a leader. And I have to say that uh, the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern presented her first government's well-being budget in 2019. And here's what she said. This is a quote. We're embedding that notion of making decisions that aren't just about growth for growth's sake, but how our people are faring. And she added, how is their overall well-being and their mental health? How is our environment doing? These are the measures that will give us a true measure of our success. And that's what she based on to um, deliver her first well-being budget in 2019. And I had a conversation with the finance minister, Grant Robertson, and he outlined the plan that the their country uh, is investing billions of dollars in mental health services, child poverty, and measures to tackle family violence because that will help them uh, make sure that their economic growth is is possible. And he also told me that success is about making New Zealand both a great place to make a living and a great place to make a life when we had our conversation. So it's clearly demonstrated that if we use that experience into making sure we represent all Canadians in, in our framework, we will be in a, in a better place. I want to also um, talk to you about Scotland. So if we look at, um, at another system currently in place, uh, Scotland, for example, has identified national values. 
outcomes and a number of indicators that allow them to identify cross-cutting priorities and a report guiding their policy-making decisions. And another one, uh, Iceland, uh, they're ahead of the curve on gender parity, and they rank the highest in terms of labor force participation. They actually have a committee dedicated to measuring quality of life and different indicators that produce their findings under uh, the pillars of society, economy, and the environment. Now, when I look at all this, the common takeaway for countries in the world that have a high quality of life is they tend to measure what matters most to their citizens, to their people. And that's why it's so important that we continue to engage with Canadians as we develop our Made in Canada framework to ensure that we capture the elements that make a real impact in their lives, in people's lives. And uh, we're really uh, looking forward to uh, bringing forward a, a tool like the uh, quality of life, or I should actually say made in quality of life framework uh, that works for all Canadians in the approach that we'll be uh, making to guide our policy uh, decisions and our budget uh, decision making. Do you see a, uh, a, a sort of a, a quality of life budget in Canada's future? I'm actually seeing that, yes, but I will tell you with the pandemic, um, it will be important that we uh, focus on uh, making sure our health and safety for Canadians come first. And and with my cabinet um, cabinet colleagues and how we will be behind the scenes uh, crafting and deciding those policies, uh, when we bring in that framework, it'll help us make better decisions. So at the end of the day, I believe that we have to focus on on all Canadians, uh, you know, being part of this and not leaving anyone behind. Well, Minister Forge, thanks very much for joining us. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your your schedule to talk not only about what your government has and is continued to to do, but also around some of the the thinking and the the underpinnings behind uh, some of the decisions and, and where we might be headed. I think that's really helpful and useful context for people, uh, particularly right now when things change and change quickly. Um, so I really appreciate you joining me. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we are all in this together. So uh, I, uh, of course, hope that we will continue to uh, to work uh, all together to make sure that uh, Canadians uh, get out of this uh, and we get to fight this pandemic once and for all. Thank you so much, Minister Fortier. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening. Today's episode was produced by Mira Ahmad, edited by Aaron Reynolds, with technical assistance from Carolyn Smith. Crisis to Resilience is a part of the 2020 Network, presented by Interac, which is a production of Canada 2020. On the next episode of Crisis to Resilience, I will be speaking with Robert Aslan, currently the Senior Vice President at the Business Council of Canada and former Director of Policy to the Honorable Bill Morneau, former Finance Minister in the Trudeau Government. See you next Thursday.